welcome to e by go i'm damien back with tris how you doing mate i'm very well thank you mate i'm, I'm all festive i got me little creepy santa it's jumper beginning on. to look a lot like christmas do you know what it's, it's chuffing feeling like it as well it seems like we've been stuck on this franchise for like ever we started before halloween it's now coming up to christmas and we're still balls deep in it 10 days away from christmas and we're <laughs> still reviewing halloween movies joy to the fucking world <laughs> the christmas shopping done is it hell i'm a bloke save that stuff till chuffing christmas eve i guess hey i haven't started luckily my girlfriend is very organized when it comes to this stuff so like my parents and my sister everyone's presence other than what i've got for her which i'm pretty sure she's already decided what that is is pretty much sorted anyway so i just have to be a walking like bank card for the next couple of weeks yeah that's pretty much me as well I think that's a bloke's lot in life, isn't it, really? It is, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But going out on Christmas Eve, I'll tell you what, you think it's going to be busy and it's going to be mad. It's bliss. You don't have to put up with any of that, you know, that that fighting. <laughs> People everywhere, any of that. It's COVID safe. COVID safe. We shall see. But this is for another time. This week, we're finding out if Halloween 2 is a real stocking filler or if it's a sad, depressing lump of coal. <laughs> and... It's well known that Rob Zombie hated working with the Weinsteins on Halloween 1. But of course, it made a fuck ton of money. At the box office, they were always going to push for a sequel. And he thought, as you know, though, seeing as he made a hit with the first one, they'd be really cool with letting him have a bit more freedom on the second one, which was not the case by all accounts. It's really, you know, it's unknown. I wouldn't have thought the Weinsteins being despicable scum. I just don't believe it. Well, you'd kind of think, could be sound. You know? He rots for the, the rest of his life. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Locked away. Yeah. Do, do you know time, what they should have done? Yeah. Is they yeah. should have actually put them into this movie and <laughs> let Mike loose. Old Problem old. solved before it even happened. Yeah. Anyway, this time, Rob Zombie wanted to focus on the psychological effects of the characters from the first movie. And whereas the original Halloween really rooted Michael in reality and tone down the supernatural elements holy hell does this move does this one go <laughs> off the rails i mean you could you could almost say that this movie goes to the most extreme lengths possible to get his wife sherry moon zombie into the movie i mean to the point yeah. where he practically shifts the subgenre from slasher to supernatural horror i mean can i ask you tris just in case i missed it did you at any point in the first movie notice a white horse no, I didn't. Or like Gandalf the fucking white from Lord of the Rings stood next to it either. I did not notice that either. No, Jesus. he didn't. <laughs> but now it's it's integral to the fucking plot. The movie right, from, right from the word go as well. It's like, here's this little porcelain horse. Here's this lady in white. Oh, <laughs> Michael's in white. White's the theme in this, including including the soundtrack. Jesus Christ, oh, yeah, is this just like a TV satin. channel for Knights in White Satin? Uh, before we go any further on this... Tris, do that public service announcement, my friend. Ah, yes, the good old public service announcement. So, guys, we do do spoilers on this podcast. So if you've not seen it, if you are wanting to know what happens, check out now. Save yourself some time. Go make a brew and then come back. It's not worth watching. Uh, I'm going to do spoiler alert right there. Sure, Damo's not going to be too happy with that one, but hey-ho. We'll discuss it. Let's put it this way. This is going to be more entertaining than spending two hours of your life watching this monstrosity. So we do do spoilers. Check out, go watch it if you want to, if you're that way inclined. If not, stay stay posted. So the movie starts with a quote about 
a white horse and it's from this psychology. I feel like this entire movie was written after <laughs> Rob Zombie read one book on psychology and it was probably from Freud, which <laughs> was being massively discredited since. But we start with Sherry Moon Zombie in the sanitarium visiting Mike, bringing him a statue of a white horse. Different actor playing Michael, different vibe altogether because we never saw a white horse and they seem much more lovey-dovey than they were in the first movie. Do you know what? I quite like how Rob Zombie literally gets his wife point and centre straight away. We need to get her in this movie. Let's get her straight on. There she have, is. All yeah. the glory. Boom. I have strong feelings about her in this movie. Now, I've said to you last week, I have nothing personal against Sherry Moon Zombie. And I actually really enjoy her in some movies. This movie is not one of them. But we'll go on. <laughs> no, so, not at all. <laughs> so she's talking to Michael and... They're talking about a dream Michael had of her with a white horse in a white dress, taking him away from it. And already it's it's completely separate to anything that went on in the first movie. I mean, fuck no where it came from, but it's going to be very important later. Trust me. Also, Do you know what? The, the consistency yeah. is quite good, though, isn't it? You know, with Halloween movies in the fact that at the start of the next movie, it makes no fucking sense. They just rewrite everything <laughs> just and start completely. Yeah, just rewrite it again. Let's go. Forget everything yeah. that's happened. Let's just create something else. And and this one feels very much like he's gone, shit, she shot herself in that movie. She shouldn't mm. have really done that. We've got a sequel. I know. We'll reinvent her as Gandalf. I think you're right. And I will say the kid that's playing Michael looks very different than uh, the original kid, Dake Farch. And he looks nothing like him as well. And that whole intro scene just feels so shoehorned. Like you said, it feels so shoehorned into the plot. It's absolutely crazy. And then we skip forward 15 years again <laughs> to deal with the fallout of Halloween 1. And Laurie Strode is very fucked up, covered in, in blood and walking down the street. Yeah, I think it's pretty safe to say she looks like shit. She does. She gets found by Sheriff Brackett, a.k.a. Brad Dourif. And I'm not sure why he's out. I mean, he literally found his daughter, Annie, cut to ribbons less than an hour ago. I mean, surely he'd be out working with her. But obviously, Laurie Strode's more important than Annie as this entire movie goes so fucking hard <laughs> to try and convince us. But he's got duty to do. He's hard on duty. They're a bit short-staffed. You know what the police shortages are like. And then we get to the hospital. Yep, it's Halloween 2. We've got to get to the hospital. Nice little cameo. Of course cameo. we have. Of course we have. Yeah, it's a bit busier than, the, uh, busier than the last time in Halloween 2. A little it? bit, but they do massively understaff still. They've no, not learned from the mistakes of like 20 years ago. Well, I think they've gone for quality over quantity because one of the staff members <laughs> just happens to be Caroline Williams. Who was in what film, do you think, Tris? Not a clue. Didn't recognise her. Go think back to last week when we talked about what I believe is Rob Zombie's holy grail of everything. What movie do you oh, think she was in? Does it involve, like, Texas and some chainsaws? A couple of massacres thrown in as well. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> She's not in the original. She's in the second one. And she plays Stretch, who is the final girl in the second one. And she's fucking awesome in it. Uh, she was in Texas Chainsaw Massacre, so of course she's got to be in a Rob Zombie movie. Um, <laughs> and whilst the, I've got to say, whilst we're patching Laurie up, I have many things negative to say about this movie. But one of the positives, again, is the special effects and the gore. There's lots yep. of body horror the injuries and the surgery, the pulling the nails and the skin. It does a really good job of showing us what she's with. It's almost ventures into torture porn. Yeah, absolutely. And and certainly at that point, it is very, very good. And I actually, at this point, I'm thinking, hmm, this is nice. To the point where it's starting to make you feel a little bit queasy. And you're thinking, this is quite realistic. I quite like this. It's, you know, it's tugging. It is very realistic. Yeah, yeah it's, it's very realistic. Done, yeah, It's done well. And Loomis is pretty banged up himself. 
so he gets carted off and then we get a very stark reminder that this is in fact a Rob Zombie movie that we're watching because we meet the coroners who have come up to load up Michael <laughs> and I suppose it's Linda that they're loading up. One of whom is played by Dayton Kelly, you know, Unza from uh, Sons of Anarchy, the sheriff. Yep. I lo- He's such a likeable guy. Like He's so likeable. There's, there's, there's actually a few characters from Sons of Anarchy actually appear in this movie. Yeah, there is. Yeah, so it's quite the a first few. one. Yeah, there is. Yeah. Um, also, in a lot of Rob Zombie movies, he brings back recurring characters from Sons of Anarchy. Uh, but he's such a likable dude, and it's really hard to sit there and watch him listening to Richard Brake, who is a great actor in his own right, longtime Rob Zombie collaborator. He sits there and talks about how he wants to fuck the dead teenager that he's carrying in his van. Oh. Is everyone in Haddonfield just the biggest asshole that they can possibly be? Clearly, yeah, Sheriff... either that or stupid. Yeah, maybe. I mean, luckily, Sheriff Unzer just will not tolerate this kind of shit in his van and tells him to shut up. <laughs> yeah, definitely. But yeah, it's just, it's a very uncomfortable conversation, isn't it? It's very unlikable. And it seems a little bit, I know you say it's very Rob Zombie, but for me, not seeing the other movies, it does feel a little bit uncomfortable that they're bringing in this this topic of, you know, sort of necrophilia. Just throw it in there. It's a bit random. It's a little bit uncomfortable. But what happens next? Yeah, I mean, it's all pretty academic, isn't it? Because yeah. they just smash headlong into a fucking cow. I really yeah, love the fucking way... Fucking suicide cow stood in the middle of the road. What's it made of? Concrete? It literally totals this van. Completely totals it. It does, um, but it it would that it would in Texas Chainsaw in Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the remake, the two thousand three remake, the van. There's hits a theme a, here. Yeah, no, the van hits a cow, but doesn't do what it does here. It just goes straight through it, and that, that's re- pretty much what would normally happen. You think you know, a van's quite a big thing? I mean, unfortunately, yeah, a cow's I have. Big. Unfortunately, I have hit a rather large deer myself when I was driving up in Scotland. And yeah, the van won, put it that way. I was on my way to a, to a gig, the van won. <laughs> I assume a cow's not too different. Not that I go around, you know, sort of like driving at cows, I, maybe I tipping like a few way. over at night, you know, for my own amusement. But uh, yeah, I don't know. It just seems a little bit over-exaggerated. This cow seems invincible, like a brick wall. The cow yeah, died, maybe. of course. But I don't know. yeah, it just seems what, what... a bit over-exaggerated. What do you guys think? Would a van go through a cow or would it stop dead like it does in Rob Zombie? Let us know. I know I know you like to go through cows. <laughs> Sorry, you so... could not leave that there and me not comment on it. <laughs> I like how you swiftly moved on away from it. Like, I'm not, Prince of Teddy's not said that. No. But it is all academic because you have to go with a real fucking bang and it kills the shit out of Unser immediately. Yeah. Richard Brake survives, but his jaw is absolutely smashed to shit. And he... He reacts really weird. I mean, I like Richard Brake yeah. as a good actor. He's like, ar, ar. it's really gnarly. Yeah, there's also one thing that's quite common in a lot of Rob Zombie movies, the swearing, and it's made a lot of use of within this scene. He says the word fuck a lot. In fact, a hell of a lot. He does. I didn't count it. I was close to like rewinding it and counting it and saying, I wonder how many times, definitely more than six times. So mm-hmm. we'll leave it at that. I think the problem with a lot of Rob Zombie movies, well, all Rob Zombie movies, is <laughs> the characters he writes are such dicks that even yeah. when they're in absolute danger, like Richard Brake is now, because this has the opposite effect on Michael Myers, by the way, going headfirst into a cow. He fucking feels tickety-boo when he's banging to get out the back. <laughs> he literally smashes his back doors out. <laughs> that sounds disgusting. <laughs> but, yeah, like, you don't feel 
any tension and you don't feel any sense of fear about what's going to happen to him because he's gone yeah. out of his way to establish that he's, he's a vile human being, which is why I feel that Rob Zombie has to um, rely so much on the gore in all of his movies because he can't elicit the feelings of sympathy and fear from building a sense of connection with a character. It's just not what he does. Yeah, you're almost wishing it to happen, aren't you? You're almost, you're, instead of waiting in suspense, scared of what's going to happen, you're almost like, come on, Mikey, kill the dick. Yeah, exactly. He makes Michael into an anti-hero. Yeah, I, I mean, he must have, Michael must have heard the necrophilia conversation from the back because he cuts <laughs> Richard Blake's head off slowly with a shard of glass. It's got to be diamond tip, right? Because the last time I checked, you know, bone was a hell of a lot stronger than glass. Yeah, that's a good point. And the last time I checked, windscreen shatter on impact. Not like, you know, massive shards of glass, but not in this movie. No, no, no. Big shard of glass. And he does it with ease as well. Just... He does. I know it's meant to show his strength, but I think it's a bridge too far with this one. But, yeah, um, it's, it's very un unrealistic. Just to let people know as well, I don't know what version you watch this, but I'm reviewing the unrated version of Halloween 2 like I did the first one. I know I have seen the theatrical one when I, when I watched it in the theatre back in 2009 or whenever it came out. But I, yeah. since then, I think I've always just seen the unrated. But that's just a point. But anyway, he's yeah, dead. It's actually the yeah. one that I actually found on Amazon Prime. I actually oh, spent three and a half hard-earned English pounds on this bad boy. What a bargain. Yeah. <laughs> Comes out with a straight face. Um, <laughs> so Richard Brake's dead. No one cares. And then we see him carrying his head like a handbag till he sees his <laughs> dead mum, Sherry Moon Zombie, all dressed in white with the white horse. Good job we established that about five minutes yeah. ago. Yeah, there's Gandalf with its horse. And why didn't we see this in the first movie, you might wonder? The cynic in me would say that he didn't need to shoe on his wife into the first movie. Like You I mean, might have a point there. Did you, did you miss it in the first movie? Oh, I must have. That's, because, must... that's obviously because she watched the wrong cut. Yeah, I must have missed the Sherry it was, Moon it was Zombie cut. It was, yeah, it was definitely in the Sherry Moon Zombie cut that I watched. I mean, realistically speaking, if we're going down this whole white horse thing, he should have seen it in the first movie, not thrown together at the start of a sequel because he's actually got a sequel and thought, fuck, I've, I've killed my wife's character. How do I get her back into a starring role? Because flashbacks are far too low-key for Sherry Moon Zombie. I mean, <laughs> the, white, the white horse thing is actually my biggest gripe in this movie by a long shot. I won't go too yeah. far into how far it goes because we'll get there. We're going to get there. We're going to talk about this eventually. But it's not a good plot device. Well, I mean, no, what, what not do you at all. Think? Well, straight away, we've gone from, you know, slasher movie to shoehorning this supernatural side of things in. And straight away, for me, not seeing the other ones until we've watched them on this podcast, it feels very much like he's trying to cram the other stuff that we really disliked from the other ones, the random, you know, the Rune of Thorn and all that kind of shit in there right at the start. And it just takes on a whole different direction. I'm not comfortable with it at all. I was watching it and thinking fuck is going on here i just it just doesn't fit and i think it you're right it's because it wasn't in the first one at all there was no mention of it there was no intimation of it at any point it's literally just there in this one and it's literally slapping you in the face at every single opportunity he makes a really big deal of making this an important factor right from the start but with no explanation as to why yeah and we'll go into more of starring role in this as we go through but for now we cut to the hospital where despite looking like she's on death's door Laurie manages to get out of bed and waddle down to see Annie, who's on life support. And the nurse comes into the room, tells her to GTFO, get back to bed, and then leaves her alone in the corridor, limping down the hallway, despite the fact <laughs> she can barely walk. 
Um, Short-staffed. Short, yeah, must be like you said. <laughs> but not for long, because she comes back having been brutally sliced by Michael Myers, who follows her and murders the shit out of her. Yeah, uh, and we, we yeah. straight away we get a bit of a trend for the way that some of these kills are actually going to go in this movie. It's very, very violent. It's literally like it's stepped up to level 11. Yeah, There's a lot of sounds, a lot of sound effects going on there. You, you're not actually seeing the actual gore part of the actual murder, but the intimation is very, very strong. It's very brutal. The sounds are very realistic as well. It's more like, yeah, post-kill gore, almost a little bit like H2O. I mean, you, to be fair, in this movie, as we go on, we see a lot more in kill gore, but early yeah. on, like her... After she died, looks it looks pretty brutal, which is great. But the weird thing is now is it's time for the climax of the original Halloween 2, which is a hospital chase scene from the 80s, right at the beginning of Rob Zombie's Halloween 2. Like, we see a dead patient hanging off the stairwell as Laurie's running away. And I will say that is a very cool, like, not cool, it's morbid. It's really gnarly. It's a really cool image of that patient hanging off the, uh, off the banisters in the stairwell. It's really gnarly. I really yeah. liked that. Yeah, absolutely. And coming straight after that quite brutal kill that we did with the nurse as well, it's very straight after that final scene, like you said, from the original Halloween 2. It does happen very, very early. It's literally like they've cut, yeah, yeah, massively. And it's literally like the original Halloween 2 is over and done with within the space of five minutes. It's so quick. Uh, And as they move on, and you know, start to develop into the other sort of uh, subplots and stuff. It's, it's dealt with very, very quickly. And he also gets that very trusty fire axe back. He does, because the chase leads him out into the car park where she bumps into Buddy the Night Watchman, who lasts no fucking time at all before <laughs> taking the axe to the chest, does he? No, I, one thing, when, he, when they're actually in sort of like that, you know, security watchman hut thing, it's a bit of a flashback to the first movie where he literally just goes batshit crazy and just literally starts hacking away at everything but how flimsy is that hut thing yeah it is but the thing is this is another point so this isn't too bad of a scare because buddy the night watchman is actually a nice guy he's calming her down he's saying i'm gonna get you to safety he goes outside in the rain because of course he does it's a horror movie and then he comes back why why is it always stormy why is there always rain and thunder yeah but this is my point so he gets hit in the in the back with with the axe and there is a bit of tension there because Buddy is actually a nice guy. He's trying to do the right thing. And this is my problem. Anytime there's any sniff of a character that's not complete dirt, yeah. Rob Zombie doesn't, doesn't give him time to live, doesn't give him time to... He just gets rid of him as soon as possible. But to be fair, out of every kill in this movie, like Buddy's kill there was the only one I felt a little bit connected to because he's like he's, a, he's trying to do the right thing. We get the weight, then we get the axe to the back. And it's a, it's a very well-executed death, but the problem is there's not enough of that in the main cast to care about them. Yeah, particularly with Buddy as well, because you know what's coming. Yeah, You, you know do. what's yeah. coming straight away. It's so predictable. But because you kind of like the likable character, the suspense is built, and you're kind of hoping it's not going to come. Yeah, absolutely. So Buddy's fucking dead, and Michael now has free reign to get Laurie. But guess what? Psych! It was all just a dream! Yeah, not just the attack, the entire movie so far at 23 minutes of time so far that we're into this. 23 minutes was a dream sequence in this. Rob Zombie, what the fuck? Yeah, absolutely. I thought exactly the same. It was literally like exactly what you said. What the fuck just happened? I've just literally watched 23 minutes of this. And it's a fucking dream. Yeah, I have Why? no issues with dream sequences. They're a massive, long-established trope. I mean, I love I love Freddy as much as anyone. But this is 23 minutes. I mean, the movie's at, what, two two hours? Two, just over two hours? Like, 
10 to 15% of this is a dream sequence. And to be fair, this dream encapsulated, I mean, it can't have been a dream. I feel like it's another thing that's been shoe on because this dream, what did it encapsulate? The coroners, the ambulance crash, the multitude of murders over and around. Basically, all of the original Halloween 2 is just a dream. So back in reality, Laurie is actually now living with Annie. You know, one year later is, of course, emotionally scarred. And the way that Rob Zombie chooses to show this by turning her into a goth. <laughs> yeah, that and also a, a drugs cabinet that the cartel will be proud of. Yeah. Yeah, this whole goth thing is weird, isn't it? It's, you know, she's it's working a very... in a record store. She's she's not full goth. She's she's more like hippie goth. She's like halfway there, halfway between the two. It's very weird. I mean, this movie's kind of set in this, what, 70s, 80s or something like that. So I think, you know, being into Alice Cooper and, and stuff like that and Kiss at the time would have been considered probably kind of maybe not kiss because they'd done their disco thing by the time it got to the late <laughs> 70s 80s but yeah i mean in other news brad duraf is still massively upstaging the entire cast daniel harris daniel harris is doing great and yeah. scout taylor compton's laurie Strode is still annoying as shit not blaming Absolutely. the actress not blaming the actress because the writing of her character in this movie i would liken it to scraping polystyrene across your ears because she's <laughs> that fucking irritating yeah, it, it's even worse than it actually was in the first one. It Far is worse. really, really Far poor. Worse. And what I kind of liken it to is a little bit about when we got Daniel Harris's character, when we got Jamie Lloyd in the sequel to that movie and how they actually poorly wrote her as a character in that one. Laurie is a little bit like that. There's also some more similarities to that as well, which I'm sure we'll come on to a little bit later. But yeah, the, Laurie is a character... Very badly written. Very badly. So she's wearing this Kiss shirt early doors. So it's not all that bad. But she's in therapy. But one thing I do need to point out here, the entire premise is set around Laurie being the survivor of this insane trauma. And we spend fuck all time focusing on Annie. I mean, yes, Laurie was attacked and kidnapped and lost her foster parents. No qualms with that being slightly irksome. But Annie was also attacked and she was beaten and she was stabbed within an inch of her fucking life. Also, a boyfriend... Paul was stabbed mid-fuck right in yeah, front she of her. Yeah, she was used for bait as well, wasn't she? You know, to, yeah. to actually attract her. But she seems I'd argued she's in just quite... as much need of help than anyone else, but we spend no time focusing on her whatsoever. Yeah, this character, as Annie, she's quite level-headed. She seems quite fine. Doesn't matter what happened to her. You know, it's all in the past. She's sane. She's fine. She's normal. The only literal scars that we see about the trauma that she's faced are some very, very faint sort of like things on her face from what we actually saw in the hospital scene a little bit earlier on where she was like gruesomely sung. Plastic surgeon must have done a cracking job. Yeah. And that's the problem with letting Annie survive the first movie. I mean, it didn't matter about Annie's trauma in the OG Halloween 2 because she was killed. And Laurie's the only survivor of that night. And it was clear who we were meant to be rooting for. In this movie, yes, we're meant to be rooting for Laurie. And I still think that's a massive grey area. But not only is Annie more sympathetic, so is her dad, Sheriff Brackett. Like, they're both, like, infinitely more likeable than Laurie in this movie. Yeah, massively. And just coming back to the whole therapy thing with, with Laurie as well, there was a really strange focus, two shots, and the only reason I noticed this is because, you know, I'm a massive petrol head. So show me a picture of a car. I'm going to tell you what it is. But the white GTO, the Mitsubishi GTO, when Laurie was in therapy, it was like this scene about the GTO. Then we see her in therapy and then we see the GTO again. It doesn't go anywhere, but it kind of felt like it meant something. I was proper disappointed when it didn't. <laughs> I wouldn't know, mate. Cars have fucking no bearing on me. 
But um, I would have to say, after the dream scene, this movie stops being a Halloween movie. This is a Halloween yeah. movie in name only. Michael Myers is Michael Myers in name only. He doesn't act like Michael. He barely even fucking looks like Michael Myers. The the mask is off for pretty much a lot of this this movie, and it's only actually brought on for effect when it comes to certain kills and stuff like that. Throughout, he's pretty much a man. He, he walks yeah. like a man. He looks like a man. You know, he moves like a man in in a lot of these things. It's it humanizes him far, far too much. And exactly like you said, it is in name only. It, it's not Michael Myers. Yeah. It, it's done away with, yeah. with everything we've been built up to be. Absolutely. Rob Zombie basically made whatever the fuck kind of movie he wanted to make in this and stuck his wife in there and slapped the Halloween badge on the front looking, you know, and held his hand out for the money to come in. We see how Laurie is meant to be coming apart, but really she's just a bitch to everyone. Yeah. I'm not saying that there's not different types of trauma out there and it impacts people in very different ways. I get that. I understand that in real life, but we're talking about a movie here and we're not making real life. Here. We're making a slasher movie. So you've got to tweak the lead character's attitude or the way she reacts to trauma into a way that's sympathetic to a viewing audience. Now, yeah, like absolutely. I, say, I understand that different people have different levels of trauma in real life. And you know, you would, react to that in different ways in real life but when you're watching a movie you have to be able to root for her in some kind of way and you just can't in this movie you just can't root for her because she's been a full-on bitch to every single person she comes across yeah absolutely and to be honest with you it would have actually been better if they've actually got rid of her quite early on in this movie and actually just done away with with her as a character and actually followed a slightly different storyline because there's a lot going on you know with the whole white horse and the his wife being <laughs> you know Gandalf um, and and everything else, but they they persist with Laurie as essentially the final girl th- throughout the whole thing. But as much as she's you know portrayed badly, let's talk about another character that's also portrayed badly. What the fuck has he done to Loomis? Uh, Loomis is the only reason I would ever come back and watch this movie. But I agree, he's <laughs> he's, he's shat all over uh, all over Loomis on this one. Yeah, he turned into straight, like a celebrity diver, hasn't he? Celebrity yeah, he's, he's turned into a you know the porn star, celebrity Tash, and Dark Shades. He's just turned into a celebrity asshole, and he becomes almost a, a comedy character in this one, soft as shit as well. After watching you know the earlier side of the franchise, and Loomis being such a strong character in that, and such a mm. focal point, and one of my favourites from from the whole of it, to get this Loomis in the second movie, and he was poor in the first one, but in the second one, he, I, just, I don't know what he's thinking. I still think that Malcolm McDowell does really well with the material given to me. But going back to what you said about Loomis's character, everything is so surface level with this movie yeah. in terms of... So with Laurie, right, she's depressed. So she's she's on a grungy goth kick, but it's all really shallow surface level. It's like she's depressed, so she's got to be a goth. Um, she's a goth, so she's got to listen to Kiss or Alice Cooper. She's grungy, so she's got to work in a little second-hand shop with a boss that's like, fight the system, bro. It's like... <laughs> It's like almost like somebody's idea of what being a goth or being, you know, part of that alternative culture is like, which is weird coming from Rob Zombie because you know, he's he's a massive part of that. He's, his career is situated in that. And it's same with Loomis. Like he's got, he's kind of that shallow celebrity type guy with a, with like really shallow motivations of like wanting to make money. But he wouldn't be like that in real life because he cared for Michael from him being a kid. He, yeah. he was emotionally invested in the character in the first movie. For him to just, on this one now, after being attacked by him, just completely flip and not give a shit about Laurie, who he risked his life for, literally, 
one year ago in the movie to turn on her and to turn on Michael and to turn on Owens and just become this little diva. It's also surface. It's like he saw an episode of Keeping Up with the Kardashians and thought, oh, let's just turn Loomis into that. Yeah, and that's one of my massive bugbears with this movie, especially after the first one, where I actually like the backstory of the relationship of Loomis and Michael and how they actually got to know each other and how that changed, how it developed, to then go into this very shallow as you said, surface level character, it wound me up massively because I wanted more from that character in this movie. I wanted to see a little bit more. And instead, we just get this kind of bit part surface level character that does nothing more than basically piss everybody off. That's a theme through uh, this film. Um, We also meet uh, new friends because Annie's not crazy enough for her now. So we meet um, Maya and Harley who have no characteristics whatsoever other than one's a nerdy one and one's a slutty one. I mean, that's just how they that's just how they're written. I'm not making yeah, judgments. Absolutely. I don't mind that like, too much. It's a slasher movie. There's gonna be some basic as fuck characters that are designed to get killed. I mean that's just that's just how it's so I don't mind that too much. Oh, yeah, one thing I do like. I know that we're talking shit about Loomis and how his character's written in this, but Malcolm McDowell is just fucking chewing the scenery in all this. Like when he goes and sees his PA and he's just being so his publicist and he's being such a dick and he's demanding a cup of PG tip. Should have been Yorkshire tea, by the way. I want a cup of PG tips, piping hot, and I want it. <laughs> I did. I did laugh. I did. I think Michael McDowell's just the best part of this movie. Yeah, you, you are right. For for all the the flaws in his character and the writing and everything else that they've given him, uh, the material that they've given him is, is poor. Uh, but yeah, he, he plays it well. You, you certainly can't fault yeah, that. Like, he, he plays the part well with the very limited resources and you know character traits that he's been given. He hams it up in the same way that Donald Pleasance plays Loomis very hammy. So does McDowell, but in a very different way. So yeah. he's like practically strutting around. And then in the press conference about his book, the, the, he starts getting some shit from the journalists and he's like, um, do you think Michael ever be found? And he's like, let me make this absolutely sparkling clear. Michael Myers is fucking dead. And I was like, dude, you're so D-E-A-D dead. So fucking British. Oh, by the way, I found out uh, McDowell is a Liverpool fan. Do you know what? I'm actually going to say fucking shit character. Don't like him anyway. He's done a shit job. Oh, I love McDowell. I like him even more. Now that I know he supports uh, the opposite team to you. <laughs> Do you know what? I know it's, a, it's that's a different podcast, but you know what? I can't even comment at the minute without shit. Michael. Literally, the only thing shitter yeah. than us right now is this fucking movie. Rob Zombie, you've got a lot to ask for. <laughs> that might be a point. So Michael, he says, is D-E-A-D, but he's not. We know he's not. But this intro's got us back to Michael. Yeah, it was like fu- traipsing cross-country like a hobo, full-on beard. I mean, fuck, again, fuck knows how he survived this one because in the unrated version of Halloween 1, he gets killed by a headshot from close range. And in the theatrical version, because I went back and watched it after we did our podcast last week to check out how it ended, and he just gets shot by four you know, four police uh, officers to shoot in the shit. It's like firing line, a little bit like in uh, Halloween 4. Yeah. So fuck knows how he survived it. But instead of letting us know how he survived it, I mean, one thing you commented on quite a lot in Halloween 4 and 5 or whatever was how silly it was that he survived, you know, by crawling into the stream. In this one, he's walking across the field because he's surviving. You're like, how how did he survive? But the film just doesn't answer the question. He's like, well, he just did. Now shut up and watch this film. Now shut up and yep. watch Jerry Moon Zombie Walk with a Horse. 
Yep, <laughs> and then they kill him all over again, don't they? They do, eventually. But such is the literal fucking disdain for the series that Rob Zombie shows here that Michael is not wearing a mask. He's just got a hoodie with a big-ass beard. If he looks a day, he's 45. I mean, he's meant to be in his mid-20s, but fucking God knows how. And he's become an absolute mama's boy. I mean, we see like a manifestation of his child self appear, as well as Sherry Moon Zombie. And she talks some bullshit about Halloween and coming home, and she needs to he needs to bring him home this year. As if he fucking need, as if he fucking needs reminding it's Halloween. Yeah, absolutely. It's literally like this whole supernatural thing is bringing him into the whole murderous element that that comes with him. Which and he was already at anyway. Like he didn't need yeah. his mom, supernatural mum, to tell him to kill. He was already well on his way. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's just it. Like I said earlier, it's literally forced. This this subplot is forced upon you at every opportunity. Yeah, it just it doesn't give you any substance or, or reason why. It's forced on you at every chance they get. It is, and the dependence on his mother in this movie, it's not a characteristic of Michael Myers. Not even in Rob Zombie's own last movie was this a characteristic of Michael Myers. He's not a slasher with a mummy complex like Jason or Norman Bates. I can't see any real reason for going down this route other than to put his wife in a starring role. It's like he wants to make Michael Myers into Leatherface or uh, Jason Voorhees or Norman Bates or a hobo, basically anything except Michael Myers. Yeah, and it's also kind of splitting his personality as well because we see little Mikey there with them as well. We do. And they are, as we find out a little bit later on, there's sort of intimation that they are two separate people. We've got Mikey the monster and we've got Mikey the, the child, but they're also one and the same. It's very confusing, it's very weird, and it's never really explained. And it feels almost like they've taken the evil away from Michael because it feels almost like he's having his strings pulled by his supernatural mother, which again takes away a lot of the impact of having Michael Bynes in a movie. But anyway, we digress. It's been a few minutes since we've seen any assholes die. So enter a <laughs> truck full of absolute shitbags, including Bobby Elvis. Yes, indeed. Although he's not doing his El- he's not doing his Elvis impersonation in this one, but he does meet a very glorified end ram the fuck into some deer horns on the front of a truck. How deep south of America is that? Yeah, I, I enjoy an impalement on antlers. It's not very often you see it in a movie. I can only it's think not of, at all. I can only think of one other movie, and that is um, Silent Night, Deadly Night, where a, a murderous Santa pins a young lady to some antlers, antlers horns. It's fucking gnarly. It's a really good kill, actually. I think it's Linnea Quigley, actually who is one of the all-time greatest 80s screen, screen queens. Yeah, but, um, the only other thing I can think with that is Hannibal, the series, where there's a few impalements yes, on, uh, early on, a few on in the, antlers. Yeah. yeah. That's yeah, the only right. other one I can think of. I forgot how much I loved that series. Yeah, it's yeah, good. Good shout. Good shout. You like Bobby Elvis? You like Sons of Anarchy? I can't remember if I ever asked you. Yeah, it's, it's one of my favourite series. and oh, is it? I don't really like to see him sort of like meeting this end. I almost um, cried but... when he died in Sons of Anarchy. Spoilers for Sons of Anarchy. <laughs> Fucking died. I I almost cried when he died at toward, towards the end of it. There's no way for him to go. Not at all. But again, we die. We digress. Next comes after all the death and some very very good kills. Then we get this really weird part where things take on a slightly dark and sinister turn, and we see Michael ripping into the dog that he's also killed and yeah, why eating kill a dog? the dog. Yeah, but then he, we see him eating the dog. And then we get this weird repeat thing of the psychic connection because all of a sudden we see Laurie seeming to taste the same thing and then going and vomiting in 
like the sink or toilet or whatever it is that she does. It's yeah. just a little bit weird. And it's like they're bringing that whole psychic connection between the two of them back. And we see that a little bit later on as well with the flashbacks and things like that. And it's just, yeah. it's out of place and it's weird. It's like some bullshit art house movie, a wannabe art house movie with Sherry Moon Zombie taking Michael and Laurie through like this faux last supper vision with like deformed people, you know, like gathering around the table because there's a, a guy with a pumpkin head and deformed people on there. Yeah. And that's where Michael reveals to his dead mum, who is only in his head and never showed any signs of being a psycho, that they should all be a family again. Uh, we never saw that of uh, Sherry Moon Zombie in the first movie. She wasn't a psycho like that. Well, it's just a weird, weird scene. It's out of place. And this is where Rob Zombie fails for me, because when he just, in the first movie, when I said it was a love letter to horror fans, it really was, because you can tell he's a horror fan. He's like, oh, well, what if you wanted to know more about Michael? Oh, well, what if he was more gory? Oh, what if he did this? And it's like, that's so cool. But then when he tries to get a little bit more art housey, a little bit more grand, his lack of ability really shines through. Like in this movie, in the art house stuff, it looks like some like Antichrist superstar era Marilyn Manson video, which is really bad. He also, he comes under the same kind of issues in his later works, like 31, which I almost want you to watch it. Just to see. You've seen Running Man, haven't you? Yeah. The, the classic action movie starring Arnold Schwarzenegger. This is like oh, hey. this is like Running Man meets the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. <laughs> instead of a uh, dystopian future, it's set in Texas. And instead of <laughs> instead of good people and bad people, you've just got bad people. It's called 31 because apparently it's set on Halloween. It's Malcolm McDowell's actually in it again in a really weird wig. Honestly, it's it's an absolute clusterfuck. <laughs> but that's him trying to be a little bit more deep and he fails massively. The movie bombed. He had to have it crowdfunded. That's how bad it was. He knew, the, he knew the movie was bad, but the problem is because he had it crowdfunded. Like He'd got all these obligations to his backers that he had to go and do these tours and talks about the movie and do a behind-the-scenes footage. It must have been so embarrassing knowing that he'd made this absolute dog shit movie, but he still had to go on talking about it because he was legally obligated to his backers. Oh, it was so funny. But yeah, that's where I think uh, told Zombie, old Robert Zombie, that's where I think he uh, he falls down a little bit. Um, but going back, the best bits in Michael in this sorry in this movie are with Malcolm McDowell in it. Beyond, it's the only time I feel amused <laughs> is seeing Loomis. He gets so much shit in this movie for writing a book on Michael and Haddonfield. I mean, there's true crime books out there, right? They get written all the time. The, the authors don't get like demonized in the public. Yeah, I, I think the whole subplot of this this sort of this book as well it, it brings more shit into it for Laurie as a character in the fact that she's now known as, you know, obviously Angel Myers comes out, which is a lot of what we saw from like H2O and all that crap. And, you know, the whole backstory of, you know, Loomis's death and finding where she is and all that kind of stuff. But, but yeah, it's just sort of, if you'd not seen that, it wouldn't have been overly clear straight away that, you know, Angel Myers was the name she was given before obviously being, being doctored. But it's quite nice that they take Angel Myers. She's now, you know, an angel. It's, I, know. I don't know. It's just, it's weird. It's, there's a lot in this movie that's weird. It just doesn't fit. It's like they've taken a whole storyboard of stuff and gone, I don't. Let's mix it up. There I, we go. I that goes I, there. That goes I don't there. know what he was thinking. So Loomis is an egotistical douchebag. But I mean, come on. He's wrote a book. He's not burned down a hospital. I mean, that was the original Loomis in Halloween too. He burned down a fucking hospital. <laughs> he blew the fucker up. 
And everybody still carried on listening to him. <laughs> yeah, literally everybody. Police, the lot. But as you said, he is revealing that Laurie is in fact Angel Myers, which is a which is a pretty dick move, to be fair. But yeah. in the meantime, they're still into splicing all this art house stuff. Like, there's a few occasions where they into splice this. They're establishing that supernatural connection, but they're also trying to establish that it's not just Sherry Moon Zombie and Michael and Laurie. It's Michael and Laurie as well. Like you said, he's, she's tasting the things he tastes. And she's also dressed, there's, you know, there's a scene where she's dreaming and she's dressed like, like Michael was when he killed me. Yeah, with the, the, the clown. And we see, literally goes and picks the gaffer tape and the knife out of the, the drawer, doesn't she? And literally recreates that, that kill of his stepdad from the first one. Yeah. Again, it's a psychotic episode and we're seeing that sort of psychic connection. She convul- yeah, she convulses like, like you said, like Jamie Lloyd did in Halloween, but with a lot yeah. more swearing, strobe lights, some devil crosses carved into it. And of course... <laughs> Sherry Moon zombie thrown in, dressed in black and holding her hands up like a fucking extra in Nancy Grass Superstar. <laughs> um, but yeah, they're, they're establishing that. And Laurie then unravels and kicks off at the psychiatrist, who, big cameo with the psychiatrist. Did you clock the cameo? No. That is none other than Margot Kidder, Lois Lane from the original Superman herself. Wow. Also, I should, have picked, I should have picked up on that, but yeah, just didn't. Yeah. Amitable Horror and Black Christmas and, yeah, probably most It's weird you just said that because I did actually say to my wife at the time, she looks really familiar because we watched together this one. I was like, she looks really familiar, but I couldn't actually place her. And I was so, like, absorbed in this montage of shit uh, that I, I couldn't be bothered to Google who she was. Well, that temper tantrum that she throws at Margot Kidder, any last lingering bit of sympathy I could have possibly had for Laurie Strode disappeared and she just certified herself <laughs> as possibly my most hated character in the entire franchise which is a massive shame given that laurie is such a big character it's laurie fucking strode How yeah we hate you know laurie strode? literally the biggest character next to michael in the franchise and they do a great job of making us so hated in this movie not just in this one but in the first one of the zombie era as well it's so frustrating that they've done that to what should actually be the likable person. Exactly. Really annoying. And she carries on rampage and she goes on a rampage at Danielle Harris as well. Another fucking big fuck you for that. And But she sticks it back to Laurie this time and she demands... And then Laurie's like, get out of my fucking room. I'd be like, bitch, get out of my house. You're living, <laughs> in, you're living in my house under my... I'll get fucking... I'll get Chucky to come and fucking wail on your ass in a minute. Um, and then we get to the strip club. I mean, and Zombie still has to get his wife in there because she's naked on the strip club sign because it's saying the mother of Michael Myers. Yep. I mean, it's, this sounds like I'm hating on Sherry Moon Zombie so much. I don't hate her at all. She's been really entertaining in other movies I've seen. I thought she was great as Baby in a thousand, House of a Thousand Corpses and the, you know, the rest of the Firefly t- trilogy. And she wasn't that bad it, in the first Halloween movie either, to be fair. No, I think it's just the character that she's been given. Uh, in this one it's very much an afterthought they've had to shoehorn her in she's not really got too much to play with really has she, she i know in the first one like you said she was actually really good she well, played she's a very given, good she's part. given she more than she's given way more than everybody else in this movie to work with she's <laughs> yeah, that's true she is i mean this entire movie is structured around her being forced into a script that had no room for her and didn't really need it. and the, the film suffers massively yeah she, she literally becomes the puppet master like, yeah, like exactly. that. I did. I did. I liked that. I wish we were. I wish we were reviewing Puppet Master. Actually, it's a much better movie, but it's okay. Michael Voorhees Bates is here to get things moving again, which he does by stomping the shit out of a security guy outside. 
Oh, um, brutal. Yeah, it's brutal. A really, yeah, you can see his face um, a fair bit. It's a really good kill. It's really nice. It is kind of a nice nod to the creepy coroners, isn't it, when they're lifting him in? Good God, his, his feet feel like lead. Oh, yeah, good. Oh, yeah, bad. I bet, that, I bet that's unintentional. I, I don't believe for one second Rob Zombie stopped thinking about his wife long enough to run <laughs> Uh, but yeah, Sherry and baby Michael are now just tagging along for the ride. You know, they're just they're just walking next to Michael Myers now into the strip club and she goes and stands by the pole. And then he goes after the old dude that's fucking the stripper, gets puts his mask on, I think. Um, and I don't get this next bit. I need to ask you, Trish, because you know probably more about guns than me. He pulls his gun out. Perfectly reasonable reaction when a hulking masked lunatic interrupts your fucky times. But I'm currently, as I'm currently aware, guns are a distance weapon is that right they're designed to be used from a distance yeah generally are they intended to be fired in a way that prevents hand-to-hand combat would you say that's a fair statement so why does this ball sack point the gun and then march towards michael literally allowing him to disarm him in the fucking why yeah, maybe, from- maybe, maybe he thought it got bayonet on the end or something like that. Or, or maybe they literally like shot this and then thought, oh shit, we, I mean, we this fucked, tro- we fucked up again. This is a trope of all horror movies. This isn't just a Rob Zombie. Yeah, it's just stupidity. It's the people that dare, you know, they're shown as these, you know, big hard guys, aren't they? You know, well, I'm gangster, I've got a gun out, but I don't actually pull the trigger. I don't, I think it's just a horror thing. I think mean, there's two things in horror that you do. One, when you've got the slasher villain down, kill him till he's fucking dead. And two, if you've got a gun, shoot him from across the room. Don't fucking walk up to him and shoot him. You don't yeah. need to, it's a gun. Or three, if you're running away, please do not trip over a worm on a blade of grass. Yeah, definitely. And sp- speaking of gnarly, they all end up in the uh, in the main club area. The guy, when, when he does disarm him, he literally fucking disarms him because the fucking, the bone <laughs> shoots out of his skin in a, you know, in a really good way. Again, practical effects, fantastic in this movie gets thrown out of the hallway with the stripper as well, who rips off his mask. Because we've not seen enough of Michael Myers' face so far in this movie, <laughs> that we need to rip his mask now. And then we also see the guy from outside hung, don't we? Yeah, with the uh, the rope light, don't we? Oh, uh, sort so of. gross. But, but just sort of going back to the whole ripping off the mask, it's yet another, like, humanisation of him. It's peeling away Michael that we know. Yeah. It's kind of symbolic, but it's just really poor. Uh, by this point, he's not Michael Myers at all. He is more man than he is Michael Myers. And he's been that way literally from the start. But now it's got to the point where there's very little of actual the Michael that we know. And that was, you know, the big selling factor, the big villain with this franchise. There's not yeah, much of him left. He's, he's very, yeah, he's not, re- he's not as much a slasher villain anymore. He's more just a, a hulking puppet. But yeah, he bashes, he gets the stripper and bashes her head into the mirror. One of them repeatedly. Yeah, it's one of the most brutal kills in the franchise. I mean, this entire strip club massacre feels like one of the most brutal scenes in, in most horror movies, really, with how really yeah, I mean, you, you smash a mirror, out. you get seven years of bad luck, right? Well, how many times does he keep fucking smashing her face into that mirror? He, he literally has bad luck for a lifetime. A but it is a very, knowledge. very gnarly, very, very yeah. graphic. But I, I found myself thinking, like, I should be loving this scene because it's horror and it's pretty great practical effects and it's pretty grim. But with all the annoying shit that every character's doing it and, you know, they're all just assholes, all the characters, and just drowning in pointless Sherry Moon zombie scenes, I, I just didn't care. It, it did not have the desired effect. I, I wasn't scared. I wasn't grossed out. I wasn't... 
I wasn't even entertained, but I mean, I, I could appreciate it. And like, I saw it's good practical effects, but in the context of the movie, it didn't really add anything to the experience. No, I, I think I agree with that. Uh, as much as, you know, if that had been some of, some of the other movies, you'd have literally thought, yeah, wow, right, damn yeah. good kill. But in this one, it kind of felt pointless. It got to the point where, come on, she's dead. That's it. But then it keeps happening. It's like, it's, it's going for the effect for no, no reason. It's not adding any substance to it. It's just pure brutal violence but without anything around it to back it up and we cut away from that thank fuck uh loomis has got a book <laughs> signing which is pretty amusing especially with chet the, chet the bringer of death who i know who, from prison break and you i know him. yeah prison break also from grim as well Fred, play the crazy the crazy guy in uh, prison he always break. plays a also crazy guy in Mon everything yeah always. played monroe in grim that's what Isn't i know him from most i'd actually forgot he was in prison break until you said yeah that. season yeah. one he's, and bits of season two yeah he's yeah he, he's in quite a lot he's a really good uh, good actor he, he's Great, crazy yeah. guy yeah yeah you remember him in everything that he's in and, yeah, yeah uh, you do yeah. you do yeah it's, um, it's very it's a, it's a cameo in this one of course it is a cameo in this one but just chet the bringer of death is one of the <laughs> best names <laughs> please make this out to chet the bringer of oh this it almost saves the movie it doesn't but it almost does also a victim's dad tries to take a shot at loomis but he survives only then to start thinking oh you know maybe i've been a bit of an asshole i think trying to shoot him is probably a bit harsh but I suppose yeah but it, but again he whips out the gun doesn't he? it's linda's dad isn't it whips out yeah. the gun points it but does nothing with it he does get tackled early though i will I'll allow that one just because he gets tackled by the security guards. But he is a bit, yeah, he's, he's very slow on the draw. If it's only Michael Myers being manipulated by a Sherry Moon zombie that can do, you know, that can murder in this movie. Oh, did I mention it's Halloween now? We're on Halloween day. They've been running this kind of August, uh, sorry, August, <laughs> fucking August, October 29th, October 30th. Now it's Halloween. And the book is being released to coincide with Halloween. And that's when Laurie founds out that she is Angel Myers. And then she loses a shit again and decides to celebrate by fucking off to a party with her mates at this like weird psychobilly show on a farm, which looks like it could have been plucked straight from Texas Chainsaw Massacre. <laughs> yeah, no, I actually quite like the costumes for this as well. Oh, yeah. Because they were really, really good for, obviously, they went as characters from Rocky Horror. Yeah, they did, but yeah. They weren't your typical, you know, sort of like teenagers getting drunk, sort of like Halloween costumes. They were fucking good. Yeah, like again, I think that's a Rob Zombieism. Like that, that's not a teen. That's not a teenage party. That's not how teen. I no. mean, maybe back in the seventies or eight, maybe. I mean, I wasn't around. I wouldn't know. But for me, that felt that's the kind of party that I would want to go to now as a thirty-year-old. Yeah, Do you know, like psychobilly music and um, like the Rocky Horror style uh, dress ups and stuff like that. It just it doesn't have a very teenage vibe to it, does it? It's got more of a thirty. 30 you, you just want, you just want to dress in stockings and suspenders, admit it. That's it. It's exactly right, mate. Yeah. No, I'm not that big on Rocky Horror actually. I know you're the Rocky Horror <gasps> fan. What? I don't like it. I'm not a fan. Damn it, Janet. Damn it, Janet. I'm a big fan of the soundtrack. But I'm just not a big fan <laughs> of the movie. Never. That being said, I haven't watched it since I was absolutely pissed up one night when I was 15 with a bunch of mates in a. Oh, then it's just going to be weird. Yeah, it probably it probably was. <laughs> I remember feeling. I remember thinking, like, why is Meatloaf rocked up in this now suddenly? But <laughs> it didn't do anything for me. But I digress. So Michael kills Harley outside the van as she's trying to get laid. He then kills Annie, which really fucking sucks. Like, and we get this cameo from Weird Al Yankovic, which is yeah, Weird Al cameo is slightly uh, slightly strange. And uh, giving. I mean, uh, 
old Loomis some uh, some abuse. I particularly I like sort of like when he watches it back and they're like, so is this the Mike Myers from like Austin Powers? <laughs> I know. Yeah, it's really <laughs> funny. I do like Weird Al. He's so fucking funny. You don't hear much of him anymore, do you? <laughs> no, but, um, no, very much uh, sort of like 80s, 90s. Uh, yeah. he 80s, 80s, 90s, really? 80s, 90s. And then we get more into spliced of Laurie acting like a psycho, which also sucks. And it's, it's time for the climax now. And Michael chases Laurie, bumps, Michael chases Laurie down, bumps into a Brad Dourif, finds Danielle Harris dead, which is the only time I've ever felt sympathy in this movie, possibly barring Buddy the Night Watchmen, because Danielle Harris and Brad Dourif have a couple of really like tender moments throughout the movie. Do you know like, yeah. when they're talking about the pizza? And, you know, you do, you believe that they could be father and daughter. I think it's because they're probably two of the best actors in the movie, you know, along with Malcolm McDowell. Yeah, definitely. And what I'll tell you what really pisses me off is the fact that with Annie, she doesn't obviously die straight away. We see her essentially die in Laurie's arms. Why could that not have actually been in her dad's arms when he actually, you know, goes to find her? It would have been a much better, well, sweeter even in moment. Death, even in death, she's meant to be fueling sympathy for Laurie, isn't she really? That's, the, that's, what, yeah. that's what Rob Zombie wants us to to feel he's like well i mean it's it's a big diss on the character i mean why even have a survivor all from the first movie if you're just going to use a life i didn't feel any more sympathy for laurie i was just like oh, no shit. all it does is it laurie's actually the cause of that and we don't yeah. actually like laurie as a character in this one you know she's the one that's living with annie and her dad and she's the reason why annie ends up dead in this one again she's being used as bait if you like mm. to actually draw her out she's the reason for it and then she dies in her arms it's just it's another reason to hate laurie and then Michael, along with Mummy and Baby Laurie, they catch uh, Baby Michael. My apologies. They catch Laurie and take her to this deserted cabin. And then we kind of get this blurred reality type deal going on because Sherry Moon Zombie starts talking to Laurie and ordering her to tell her that she loves Mummy, which is strange. And what's more, Michael can seemingly understand it as well. It's almost like a shared delusion. When she's like, tell me that you love mommy. I almost feel like that's Rob Zombie's aim with Sherry Moon <laughs> Zombie in movies. He's like saying to the audience, tell me that you love my wife. Tell me that you love my wife. I'm going to keep throwing her down your throat. I'm going to keep doing it. But th this whole whole sort of like scene thing, it does actually throw up for a new hero, an unexpected hero as well in Sheriff Brackett. It's very weird though. You see him break and you see his colleagues have to, you know, like take him down the stairs. You see him sat outside on the swing. But as soon as they hear... Michael's on the loose. He snaps out of it, jumps into action. Not quite the reaction you would expect from somebody who's just found his daughter for the second time, slashed to shit, but this time she's dead. Yeah, true. Yeah, and it all gets really convoluted. I mean, it, seemingly the entire fucking police department converges on this location. They've, they've also getting... got themselves a chopper. They have got themselves a chopper. And Laurie seems to be feeling like she's been held down. Loomis gets his character arc finally and becomes... <laughs> sort of a good guy again and he, has he gets a conscience he does but he has this confrontation with brad duriff where he was lucky not to get his head blown off and he sneaks into the cabin to confront michael one thing that confuses me about that scene is you get the scene of loomis in his hotel room looking out of the window thinking shit i've been a bad guy and he sees the tv and he's like um this big news report and there's a chopper and everything like that bang less than three seconds he's there where is, is this a fucking hotel overlooking this field yeah you never know it's not even a room, transition. With, room with a view there's not even a transition of him getting into a car it's just he leaves the hotel and then you know within the next second he's just walking out of a the woods there i'm thinking 
Like, wouldn't, did you not need to drive? Did you not need to get... I mean, surely there'd have been... Some, anyway, maybe they waited for him. Um, so he gets into the cabin to confront Michael and we see Laurie screaming that she's been held back and she's writhing on the floor because she thinks that young Michael's got hold of her. And I have another problem with this. I can understand delusions and all that, but even if she's imagining it, the kid's fucking nine. Like, she could easily overpower <laughs> that little shit. Whether he was real or imaginary, he's still a kid. Yeah, a lot of this If it was whole big, thing, Michael, whole... then maybe she'd have a point. Yeah, the whole thing's it's very weak, isn't it? It's, it's a very weak subplot in there. And you never actually find out if it's actually, you know, a delusion, if it's actually real, because... It's definitely a if delusion, it's a, because, yeah. Because if it's a delusion, then, you know, the whole white horse... You know, Sherry Moon Zombie essentially is not real either, and they're well, both the sharing point. in the same. Yeah. yeah, they're both sharing in the same same sort of delusion. Um, We're saying it's yeah, a it's, family it's, it's trauma weak. that's passed from Michael to to Laurie, almost like um, hereditary type delusion and trauma. Yeah, and that that's sort of sealed a little bit later on, isn't it? Where we actually get confirmation that that's actually what's happening. But in this moment, yeah. it, it's it's very it's very weak. It's not overly clear as to what's actually happening but then yeah, and it's all, yeah go on then loomis what happens yeah loomis cops it loomis got, he gets well, plowed, he massively cops it he plowed the wall but not before he's literally been slashed the shit out of yeah he does yeah he, he does it's a horrible end for a beloved character i know well they've got a knack of doing that haven't they um and i guess going back to the trauma as well i think it's weird that this shared delusion type thing would have to come from like generations of abuse and sort of training from you know from childhood but we never saw anything other than sherry moon zombie being like a loving loving mother to michael maybe a little bit blind to some of his flaws like when he caught the dead cat but like this whole again this white horse thing with the um with her attitude this She's she's almost a complete. Well, she is. She's a completely separate character than the first movie. Yeah. That's not how, she, you know, our um, Maya's mum was in the first movie. But yeah, as you said, Loomis he gets uh, stabbed to fuck. Um, then Michael gets shot in true on um, firing. And again, it's another firing line death. The third of the franchise. The second in two yeah. movies. If you're watching and the actual versions, the actual hero is complete. He gets his he gets his shot off, doesn't he? And he. Uh... Takes his revenge. Yeah, he does, and uh, good good for you, Brad. Der, if you're, you, you, Malcolm McDowell, and Danielle Harris are by far the best thing in both these movies. Yeah, um, and then I, I, I'm not sure what version you watched, but the version I watched, Laurie comes out with a knife, ready to plunge his bla- a blade into Loomis again. I've got a funny feeling you didn't watch this version. No, that's not the one that uh, that I watched. In the version I watched, um, literally, uh, Michael falls back onto some farm equipment that are in the shed. And as he's laid there dying, she literally like holds his face, says, I love you, brother, or whatever it is, and then stabs the shit out of him with a knife. And right. yeah. Well, that's not it. In the, in this one, she comes out ready to, because Loomis doesn't get slashed in the cabin like, um, like you saw. He just plows him out of the side of a wall and then stabs him in the gut. Um, and he falls to the floor. And then Laurie comes out with the knife being led by Sherry Moon Zombie, because of course, why is she not led by Sherry Moon Zombie? <laughs> and she's about to, you know, put the put the knife 
into Loomis to kill him off. So Loomis survives in the version I saw. Well, you can assume he survived. We don't see it for sure. And then one of the um, one of the cops shoots Laurie before she can stab him. And then she falls to the floor. And it looks like she's either dying or not going to die. And you're not too sure until... Well, you know, it's not. It's ambiguous to start, but then we see her in a cell in a hospital, smiling evilly, and it's down this really long white cell. Yeah, the one that Michael was seeing, sort of like at the at the start. And there, there are some similarities, but the version I saw, uh, she like stabs Michael to shit, and then she comes out of the cabin wearing the remnants of a very discoloured and very badly worn uh, sort of Myers mask. Yeah, and I think I'm going to see that. Yeah, and falls to the floor, and the next thing we we see is her in in that same cell, smiling evilly, and essentially the baton has passed on. Yeah, the baton has passed on from from Michael to Laurie, now being the, I guess the the evil, um, and becoming essentially the boogeyman or boogie woman as it should well, be. In in both of these movies, actually, there was questions of. Um, did she die or did she not? Because originally, before this movie bombed so badly, there were talks about doing the third one. It was going to be Halloween 3D, um, directed by Rob Zombie, but obviously it bombed so bad that it got cancelled. So after that, Rob Zombie came out and said, no, she actually just died. That's just the last thing. she. That was just the last thing flashing through her brain before she died. So from the horse's mouth, <laughs> she fucking died. Um, so what, um, what we essentially got then was that baton pass on of what we really, really wanted to see when Jamie Lloyd stabbed the shit exactly, out of yeah. her parent. And we were finally starting to get that, essentially, right at the end of this movie. And it is a bit of an afterthought. We, we know that. But then it doesn't happen anyway, again. Yeah, I'm glad it didn't, though. I, they wouldn't no, have done to, it well. Yeah. It would not no. have. Got, it would not have been <laughs> done. Not, well. They've not done Laurie well in the first two of these. No, uh, you're right. He's got yeah. a remake, so it wouldn't have gone well. But in terms of the story side of thing, it would have been potentially a good, good way to oh, go. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. The, the movies were done so badly; it, it would have bombed as well. But and that is Halloween too. Fuck, fuck this movie! I, fuck it all <laughs> the way. I mean, I didn't want to give too much away before you watched this one. Because I knew you thought quite highly of the first one, like I did. Um, but it, I think this movie's a fucking train wreck. I mean, what do you think? It's an absolute bastardization of everything that Halloween was, stood for, became. It literally takes a shit over all of it, takes the whole thing, mixes it around, makes a whole mess of it. If I, I never want to see it again. And I can't believe there's more movies to watch because after that one, this one, in my opinion, and I know we've seen some shit as we go, but this one is the worst one out of the lot for me. Wow. Yeah, hate it. Well, Stupid. Let's put a fucking bow on this. Let's have your final thoughts and your rating. Fuck a fucking bow. Put a fucking chain on it and drop it down to the bottom of the fucking sea with a big concrete block attached to it. This gets a <laughs> big steaming shitty Myers masks two shitty Myers masks out of 10 for me it was poor it was horrible I I literally I, I can't even bring myself to explain how bad it was it, it's just awful I'm not even going to waste my breath awful okay. crap well okay I can't disagree with 
much of anything you said there. So I would say if Halloween one was a love letter, you know, if Rob Zombie's Halloween one was a Rob was a love letter to horror fans, Halloween two is a fuck you to horror fans and to horror. It's a love letter to Sherry Moon Zombie. And as I said, I don't hate her, but I fucking hate the use of her in this movie. This movie did not have room for her. The character died early in the first movie. She came in, she made a mark, she she dies and steps aside for Michael Myers to do his thing. This movie shifts from slasher to supernatural, psychological, wannabe, art house flick, changes Michael's entire character and just throws a white horse in just to accommodate her into a major role. And it's so fucking easy to see through. Showing Michael's face is that much of a fuck you to fans. Making Michael grunt and, and even speak at the end where he shouts die. I don't think that was in the version you watched. But in the version I watched, he shouts die before he starts. Oh, I'm so glad you picked up on that because that was one thing that I didn't mention. About the whole grunting, we had, an, we had audible noises from him through a yeah. lot of this. And I hated that. The minute I, I saw that first one, that was it. I, I was, it's gone. Yeah, Michael exactly. Myers, as we know, is gone. Well, it, seeing him shout die without his mask on was fucking awful. Like, this is not Michael Myers. It's just not. With, with all the mummy shit he's been through, he's closer to Jason Voorhees or like a beefed up Norman Bates. Laurie Strode is the most unsympathetic character possibly ever. Yes, she's been through trauma. I understand that, but so did Annie. And we ignore all of that just to put Laurie front and centre. And she doesn't look she doesn't look vulnerable and in need of help. She just wants to be a dick to everyone. So also, did I mention this fucking movie drags? It's two hours. By the time we've been to the strip club massacre, it's been over an hour, but it feels like I've been watching it for days. Yeah. Slow. It's so, slow, slow. Yeah. There's so much gore in this movie. By rights, I should love it, but it's such a drag. Um, and I don't because I'm just so bored with a lack of good characters being force-fed Sherry Moon Zombie in stupid ways. It's bad. I mean, it's, there are some mildly redeeming qualities. Whenever Malcolm McDowell is on screen, I'm entertained. I, I just am. That's not just in this movie. That's just in general. He's charismatic. He does his best with an utter wank fest of a script. Brad Dourif is great. His scenes with Daniel Harris are genuinely touching. And those little father-daughter scenes are really well acted. That's less to do with the writing and more to do with the genuine ability of the actors involved. Yeah. Danielle Harris is criminally underrated in this movie. I would have just preferred to have followed her journey back from trauma. But, yeah, I mean, overall, this movie's bad. And it's not so bad it's good. It's so bad it's insulting. It takes all the good work that he did with Halloween 1 and he spits in its face. And it's a sad attempt from for Rob Zombie to throw out some bullshit art horror ideas and slap a Halloween title on it and try and give it some credibility. That's all it is. Barring the Firefly trilogy, which I genuinely enjoy, he, he, like I said earlier, he's been found out in his later films, like 31 and Lords of Salem or whatever the fuck that movie was called. Um, he's managed to get hold of a reboot of The Monsters, you know. Like, fuck knows how that's going to end up. But I mean, I tell you who's going to star in it. <laughs> Oh, Jerry Moon? 
she, yeah, but God knows how she's going to do as Lily Monster. I mean, I never grew up watching the Monsters. I, but it's a kids' show, right? I mean, I'm sure you was aware of it growing up. It's like yes, it's a it's a kids' yeah. show. Like, I mean, I know it, it's like one of his favorite ever things is the Monsters. I, I know about from from seeing interviews of him, but. I can't help thinking it's it's just going to be Texas Chainsaw Massacre crossed with the monsters with <laughs> Sherry Moon Zombie playing Lily Monster. But so like H2O before it, a good Halloween movie followed up with a steaming pile of shit that effectively kills a franchise for a number of years. Yeah. Like Resurrection. And I don't think it's the worst in the franchise. I still believe Resurrection is the worst of the franchise purely because resurrection doesn't have malcolm mcdowell daniel harris and brad Dourif, so but it's still shit and i would give it three criminally underrated uses of daniel harris out of 10 not as bad as resurrection <laughs> but still pretty shit no I, again i cannot dispute anything that you said there I, th- I think strangely enough we're agreeing a hell of a lot with this franchise which is not really the intention it's starting to piss me off a little bit actually and like (laughs) the agreement's not giving me pleasure anymore i'm just starting to get pissed off that we're agreeing but to be fair if you if you'd have turned around and said you love this one then i doubt the internet could have contained us because i can't wait to know i mean i own this on blu-ray like i i've i've paid you know real money for this for this i've i've paid real money yeah but i pay like 15 quid for this Oh, a while. I'm a completionist. Like I had to own it on Blu-ray. Like I had because all my other stuff. I've got the box set, and then I've got the Halloween one on Blu-ray. This on Blu-ray, and the other uh, Halloween, the next one I've seen on Blu-ray. It wasn't good enough for you that you had this giant shit thing in the middle of your box set. You had to buy it again. No, it's not. It's not in the box set. No, the but the box. I wonder why. Because it goes one to eight, and it misses out the first Rob Zombie movie too. Um, no, I agree. It's still shit. Your, I agree. No, I think your box set's just got gone up in my estimation. What, for, it's got for deliberate, for, for deli- yeah, but for deliberately avoiding this one. Yeah, that's a good point. But um, so yeah, this really effectively killed the franchise for a long time. I mean, this was two thousand and nine, and the next one we got was nine years later, which is what we're gonna do next week. And we've only got two more Halloween movies left to cover, Tris. One. What date are we on now? I think we're at 15th of December as we live and breathe today. So the next one will be coming out on the 22nd, which will be my birthday. Just in time um, for Christmas. Oh, we can, do, we can do a birthday special. A birthday special. And I think, um, I think we've also got a, a bit of a potential Christmas special lined up for people as well. Yeah, yeah, we are. We're going to uh, we're gonna look at a Christmas movie. Might not be strictly horror, but it'll definitely have horror vibes. Um, yeah, we're gonna, we're gonna look at that. Definitely soon. something a bit a bit festive. That, that's definitely. that's the important thing. It's not it's not going to be quite uh, quite Halloween, but I think I think we need a new festivity because this Absolutely. one's dragging on. This is the longest Halloween ever. Well, we're gonna be we're gonna be done with Halloween just after just after Christmas. So I think the new fran- the new franchise we do whatever that may be. Once we do, you know once we get the randomizer going, it will be you know the first episode of the new year. But yeah, so the next movie is 2018's Halloween, the third movie of the franchise just to be called Halloween, um, <laughs> directed by uh, David Gordon Green, who is a great, he's a very good director, very accomplished, executive produced by John Carpenter, The Return he's of the Man himself, starring Jamie Lee Curtis, 
And She's back. The original Michael Myers, Nick Castle from Halloween so, 1. Lots of returns. Let's hope it's third time lucky and this is something to really get my teeth into and, and really enjoy. Reboot. Yeah. Yet another reboot, and I hate reboots, but it's not a remake, it's just a reboot. So nah. it's a direct sequel to Halloween one. So I'm looking forward to watching this again. I mean, I've seen it a couple of times, but I've not watched it really since uh, since probably about 2018, 2019. But I'm really looking forward to getting into this one. So give it a watch, guys. Let us know what you think about Rob Zombie's Halloween 2 in the comments. Uh, there will be a version of this going out on Spotify for all your audio audio files out there. Let us know what you think, and we will see you again next week with Halloween 2018. See you later, guys. Fantastic. See you later. See you